0: discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support. And we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there.
1: Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by the Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Welcome back to Absurdity. And today I am thrilled because this is something that I would have never expected in a million years, and yet... um, at the same time, it's something that when it, when the opportunity came up, I was somehow not surprised by it either. Um, so I'm on a work trip right now, and I'm coming back from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm stopped in Asheville, where I found out that a friend of mine that I grew up with, kind of, well, I would say kind of grew up alongside, so to speak, is you're a couple years older than me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the you know uh, found out he was in Asheville or in the Asheville area, and so we decided to meet up. And we've been talking a little little bit more in the the last few weeks. And so it's been cool to reconnect and and catch up. We just grabbed coffee and now we're sitting down to talk. So Matt Mendez is joining us today. So Matt, thanks for coming on, man.
2: I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah, I um, was shocked when I found out that you even listened to the podcast and that you um, and that it was something that you even cared about. Um, So it's been it's it's always cool to connect with a friend who listens because I feel like the the. Whether it's critiques or the feedback that I get, just in general, tends to be of higher value when the person, when I know that the person giving it to me is someone who also cares about me. So, um, but Matt, why don't you go ahead and just tell us a bit about yourself, you know, your background in faith and everywhere in life, all of it, whatever you want to tell.
2: All right. So, yeah, as he says, my name is Matt Mendez. Um, I uh, grew up in Apopka, Florida in an Adventist family. Um, I attended Forest Lake Education Center, uh, kindergarten through eighth grade and uh, FLA from ninth to, to uh, twelfth grade. And um, I I grew up in a, a fairly conservative uh, Adventist household um, with a very strong faith background, I would say. my My grandfather was actually an Adventist minister in mm-hmm. Cuba. Um, and his, uh, wife came from a, a, very strong, uh, Adventist family. And so I always had that in my background and my, my father, while well, you know, being what you would call the pastor's kid was, uh, very close to, to the faith that he grew up in. And so I had that very strong underpinning, um, in my youth. Um, so fast forward to the present day. Um, I worked in uh software, uh, work for a company called Veritas. Um, I've been working there for four years. Um, I, I, it sort of started as a hobby, but, um, I've been doing it, doing it professionally for about, I'd say about 10 years now. Um, Mm. and, um, it's been interesting, but in terms of my faith background, uh, I grew up Adventist. I was in FLA freshman year, I think when I first started to, um, ask serious questions that had never come up for me before.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just realizing this now, if you have a grandfather that was a minister in Cuba, our grandfathers probably knew each other because my grandfather was a minister in Cuba really, who eventually came over to the United States and actually planted, was a part of the the team that planted the Four City Church. Wow. Um, yeah, so um, I have that, that in my blood. So that means that our families actually... It may be worth a conversation with... I'm going to ask my mom when I when I am talking to her next to find out. I'm curious now.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine the, the Adventist uh, community in Cuba was that large back then. <laughs> no, um, not at all. <laughs> so I'm sure they knew each other, encountered each other. My grandfather um, was a minister in Havana and ended up moving to Puerto Rico and uh, ministering in Costa Rica prior to uh, moving to America and... Um, he was a minister in a Spanish church in uh, in the Bronx in New York City for, for quite a while. But um, he, I'd say before he left Cuba, he had been a minister for a good 10, 15 years.
1: Yeah, no, there's yeah. Then if there's any overlap, like my family left, I think, in, the, in 58, 59. Yep. Exactly. Or, right before Castro took power. And exactly. so, yeah, that was, wow. Okay, cool. So this small world, as, yep. as always, <laughs> um, man, there are people that I've met in college that I found out I'm like distantly related to. It's That's just, amazing. Yeah, the Cuban world the Cuban Adventist world is tiny, very much, so, Um, very tiny. (laughs) So, um, so you started to question your beliefs, like, you know, outside of, um, would you say it was during your time at FLA or right after your time at FLA?
2: Um, I would say that my time in FLA was sort of a time when my, my faith identity, I guess you could call it was in flux. On one hand, I, I believed, you know, I believed the Bible, I believed in Christianity and I believed in, in salvation. Um, but I don't think I had worked out all the finer theological points for myself yet. I think I sort of went to church every Saturday and I accepted what I heard. And my father, who's a much smarter man than I am always gave me what I thought was a good reason at the time for, for believing those things. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I took it, I took it as, as gospel, no pun intended. And that's, sort of how it went, but at FLA, you know, teenagers tend to rebel and you encounter a lot of different viewpoints. Um, and I think at that time there were friends that I think we, we have mutual friends there that, um, had their own sort of journey in faith that challenged me to answer some of those questions for myself. And so I'd I'd say by the end of my senior year, I wasn't really a Christian anymore, but at the beginning of my high school career, um, I was I was definitely a, yeah. a Seventh Day Adventist. You were whatever
1: you were, right? Correct. And that, yeah. and I think like that's natural. I think you know when I when I think about the time growing up for me, it was you know everything with the Bible and with you know Seventh Day Adventism and Christianity in general was just kind of given to me as fact, and so like it was as real as gravity or as real as like the food in front of me, yeah. sort of deal. And so it's like there's no reason to question it because I've just been told this is this is reality, and I've known nothing outside of this exactly. and so even in the journey of me questioning things and ultimately deciding to stay in faith, it's still hard for me sometimes to to remember that like there's more to this than just what was handed to me um that, Absolutely. that's always a challenge like that definitely informs the way that the lens that you look at the bible through and and faith through so um that's like. Yeah, that's huge. So what would you say is like, I don't know, one of the one of the earlier questions that you started to have to wrestle with or deal with?
2: Um, I'd say it's a fairly common question. Um, It was, I'd say, the first time I ever tried to read the Bible all the way through. Um, You know, to this day, I don't remember who the preacher was, but I attended a sermon. I think it was at Forest Lake where it was sort of a challenge to pick up the Bible and read it for yourself. You know, no scripture. and know how to interpret it yourself and i i sort of said you know what i i have all these questions and i can go to all these people but at the end of the day i should go right to the source and figure it out for myself so i i started to read it and as you know you you encounter Leviticus, yeah (laughs) exodus leviticus deuteronomy and it's a very very different world from the one we're in you know in, in the 20th and 21st centuries where you know they they had this reality of war and 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 intertribal conflict. And so you're immediately thrust into this, into this world where, Oh, you know, you have the chosen, the chosen nation of Israel and they're encountering the Amalekites in, in the land of Canaan and they're encountering the city of Jericho and, and all of the things that they're commanded to do in taking the land for themselves um, or taking the land that they've, that they've been promised. And that sort of hits you like, wow, that's something I can't square with, yeah my personal sense of ethics at least at the time and so that was a major stumbling block for me so i'd say that was the first thing that that came up for me
1: yeah it's the i mean you're talking within within six chapters of the bible starting you're talking about basically mass genocide correct um and it's god that's literally it's god that's doing it absolutely and so it, very quickly it's it's and it, it amazes me when i when i think about like stories like that and then i remember like children's sabbath school where Noah's Ark is painted as this, like, wonderful thing, and you see the Ark with a rainbow and all this water, you don't realize there's, like, millions of dead people in that. Like, <laughs> like I think back on it now, I'm like, that was, like, eerily dark. Correct. Um, Like, it was, like, the Christian version of, like, I almost want to say happy tree friends Yeah. sort of deal, <laughs> except that you don't see the blood and gore. But it was that kind <laughs> of thing. It was this horrible thing, seemingly horrible thing, painted right. to be this beautiful thing. And Correct. so... Honestly, like that's still, there's still some stuff in there that I struggle to reconcile with. Ultimately, there's a lot in there that I understand is um, given as, you know, it's given as history, whether it's good or bad. Correct. Like either this happened or this story was passed down through generations of, you know, Hebrews and Israelites. And so, like, this just happened. And it's not necessarily that that means it's endorsing it for me to tell the story. Um, Right or the, for the Bible to tell the story. So I think of Judges 19 where someone's literally cut up into pieces. And
2: Was that uh, and, Agag, the uh, king of the Amalekites?
1: No, this was, um, I cannot remember exactly who it yeah. was. Um, it's okay, I forgive you. Um, but <laughs> the, um, but it was, um, yeah, it was like this horrible story, and the whole purpose of that story, you were like, where's Jesus in that? If the Old Testament was supposed to point to Jesus, where this, where this prostitute's cut into a million pieces. right? And it's like, Oh, no, the point of that story is that Jesus wasn't in it. Like, it's not that this was a good thing. It's that this was a bad thing, and this shows what ha- – this – not – I have to be careful when I say this. It doesn't show <laughs> what happens when you don't have Jesus. Right. But it shows kind of where – how can I say this in, with a in proper nuance? Like, it shows some of the ugliest things that can happen when society gives up on – or when you when you walk away from Jesus. So the right. idea being not everyone will go and do something that terrible, but – It's easy. It becomes easier to justify that if if you are not living within a realm of following some sort of ethic that that drives you that direction. So it's or drives you the opposite direction. So not saying that non-believers or believers of another faith tradition are more. I I'll say this. The one thing that I really appreciate about people who don't believe anything is that if they're doing something that's good, it means they're just doing it because they think it's the right thing and they're not doing it for any selfish motivation. Correct. And that's been one of my – that's something that's really challenged and convicted me (sighs) to ask, like, why am I doing something good, right? So it's not that people are worse or bad if they don't believe, but it does show what happens if you decide to not have any boundary in your life, Yeah. period, regardless of faith background. And I think that's where I sit on that. I think that's the nuance I would have to it. I'm sometimes in – <laughs> conversation <laughs> i try to figure that out without digging myself into a hole yeah absolutely um but so easy for that to lead you um lead you out of it like justifiably so i i don't get mad at people for wrestling with questions like that at all right. um and i remember i guess it was through facebook that i realized that you were kind of out of the faith i don't like we didn't talk a lot in high school <laughs> yeah um I'm trying to think of how we how I figured out or how we figured out that you know we were in separate camps
2: probably Facebook
1: but I feel like it was just random comment strings and you know
2: probably me being incendiary without the you know the adult concept of of keeping it to myself
1: Did you have the militant atheist phase
2: Oh absolutely
1: <laughs> Do you would you say it's a phase would you say that that's like a
2: I think so
1: What's your cuz that's a christian term Oh yeah Do you see what I mean so like what is your what is your opinion of that
2: so militant atheism the term i I wouldn't say it's only a christian term i'd say that a lot of the what you would call the new atheists um sort of like the you know uh dawkins dennett hitchens camp of the like the late 2000s or the mid to late 2000s um might might even embrace that and might even go as far as to say that they're anti-theists rather than atheists to say that it's you know it's it's a good thing that it's not true you know um and and to sort of uh revel in the fact that they're that they're militant because they believe that what they're doing is 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 a good mm-hmm. thing to to rebel against it yeah uh to rebel against it but gotcha
1: so i yeah the way the way that i've always understood militant atheism as, apart from new atheism was this kind of like the i'm free of this and i'm passionate that i'm free of it and now i want to i mean it's the same thing that happens when someone converts in. When oh, yeah. you deconvert, it's the same deal. I want to tell others of this news that I have. I want others to see through whatever I saw through and know. And and I'm mad that I was either lied to or, you know, whatever about these things. And so I want to attack the very system that now has caused me so much harm or so much. You know, maybe I've wasted. I feel like I've wasted a lot of my life. Correct. So I think there's, there's, whenever someone's angry, I start to listen. I start to think about why they, you know, why they might be angry. <laughs> And yeah, if you feel like you've been lied to for 18 years of your life, you might oh, yeah. be a little angry. Yeah.
2: And and it shows you that that zeal is not restricted yep. to any one denomination or even religion itself. Correct. Um, and it's just it's a matter of personal philosophy. But I that that feeling was very familiar to me at the time. Yeah. And I think if somebody had called me a militant atheist, I, I probably wouldn't have been offended.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, uh, and I remember with. My other friend, Jace, who you know as well. And oh, yeah. Jace has been on Absurdity, I think, back in the episodes, like in the 20s. Yeah. Uh, it's weird on this podcast when I talk about, like, the 20s or the 30s. I'm talking about episode <laughs> numbers, not the years decades. in the 1900s. <laughs> um, but, you know, he came on and talked about his faith journey as well. And, um, yeah, we went back and forth a ton. Oh, I know. Um, I remember that one. And we just with several people that we grew up with, too, as you know, I, I watch really the majority of people walk away from faith for whatever reason they've decided to. Um, so during those, during a lot of those incendiary conversations we would have and, <laughs> you know, um, brutally honest question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I asked Jace this. I should have. What was your opinion of me given that we weren't, Close, like we've never been close. I would actually probably right. say we're closer now than we were.
2: Yeah, no, <laughs> back I would agree. Then, yeah.
1: So, what was your opinion? Of, and I'm not looking for a compliment. Like I'm not fishing here. If there was, did you think I was stupid? Did you think I was like, you know, where where were you?
2: I thought you were just the coolest guy that I had ever. No, I'm kidding. Um, it, it was um, that makes no, two of us. It was. <laughs> it was um, okay. So while I I will say this, while at the time I couldn't identify with with a couple of the things that you were going through in your faith journey, because I was going completely the opposite way in terms of the fact that you, you decided to stay with it. And at the time I fell away from it. Um, you know, while I couldn't identify with some of those strains of thought, I also appreciated your sincerity. I appreciated the fact that you were asking yourself serious questions that I felt like a lot of our, um, I don't know if I should say our contemporaries a lot of a lot peers? of other pe- yeah a lot of our peers that's a good word a lot of our peers weren't addressing in 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 that serious or or as introspective a way and I always appreciated that and I think that even you know when I was an atheist I always um I always liked your candor and your ability to question your own beliefs and and find a way to to live them out as, as sincerely as possible. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And so while we didn't, we weren't close, as you say, back then, I always felt like I identified with you on that level. So. No, I appreciate it that. It goes I back think, to you being a cool guy.
1: Yeah, no, it does actually. <laughs> no, that's cool. I, um, that, and that is good to know. I think, um, one of the things that we were always told growing up too, when it comes to proselytizing or even speaking with friends that are leaving the faith is, you know, you, you always you have to try and get them back in or you have to try and, um, you know, you have to talk to them about this and fight them on it. And I did that with Jace, for example, oh, he yeah. deconverted in like seventh grade. Oh man. We used to, we used to attack him all the time for it. Like Jace, don't you, Pascal's wager all the time. We didn't <laughs> know that was the term for it, but you yeah. know, you'd rather believe in God than not and lose everything. And, Correct. um, you yeah, know, we used to attack him all the time. It's a wonder we're still friends. Oh man. And, um, but you know, I learned very quickly, like and none of that matters because even if I could prove it, that doesn't mean anything. Like if I can prove to you that God exists um, back then, I used to say, what was the point of him asking us to have faith? But beyond that, just believing he exists is not enough of a reason to like, for people to just start following him. Absolutely. Even the devil knows that God exists. Like right. Just knowing something doesn't mean anything. It's an acknowledgement. It doesn't yeah. mean anything other so than that. So if you don't have an experience with anything, then it doesn't matter. Absolutely. And so for me, it was this idea with a lot of my friends of just like, yeah, I'm just going to try and be, who i am and try to be as respectful as i can be yeah and um and try and leave the door open so that if they ever do want to talk at least they feel like there's someone they can talk to or there's someone they can go back to that's what i've always tried to do um really cool that that strategy seems to not work necessarily but paid off that helped me I would say yeah um you know you didn't come back to me when you've had questions necessarily but As you've journeyed, you know, on your journey back into faith, you felt comfortable at least talking to me. Right. So to the point that you're sitting in front of me on a podcast, which is cool. So I'll take uh, I'll take score one for the for the for the passive evangelism team. Checkmate. (laughs) Checkmate. Wait, who do I checkmate here? Oh, that's a good point. Checkmate like checkmate traditional evangelism. I don't I'm not sure. I don't know who I checkmate here. This
2: meme doesn't work in this format.
1: all right, well, that's it. We are we're done. Let's oh, that's it. Wrap it up. No. Um no, so that's that's okay, fair fair point. And and I would say the same to you. Um, there's a lot of people that I on Facebook when I used to be in arguments all the time, um, there's a lot of people that did not act with any sort of respect or decency and I had to stop responding to people like right. that. But you were always someone that I felt like Um, I could interact with or, you know, at least I could joke enough with too and um, be a little bit self-deprecating with and you wouldn't take it as like I'm shooting myself in the foot or, you know, I could make a Checkmate Atheist joke to you and you would laugh. Correct. Um, Because you knew where, you knew I was being sincere or you knew I was sincere in my own personal faith enough to know that, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't hate anyone or anything like that. Yeah. So it was cool to be able to make like really great jokes with you that were off color and still we could make fun of ourselves. So, um, I've always had a ton of respect for you. And to be honest, I was always slightly afraid of you as well. Um, <laughs> still kind of am in that there are sometimes where I go worried that you'll either ask me a question or challenge me on something, and I will not know what to do with it. <laughs> I,
2: well, let me put it this way. I am way behind you on that, on that mark in, in the sense of, of my faith journey. I'm way behind you.
1: Well, I, wouldn't, I would say that your faith is, is your journey is different because I, I bet you there's stuff in the Bible that you will both quote, know, and um, be able to reference. All three of those things with the same thing, um, <laughs> but be able to reference better than I can. Um, I would almost say that there's a lot of people that on their deconversion journey or deconstructive journey, they, they learn the Bible better than most Christians do, period. And so there's a lot that you probably could school me on biblical knowledge because i've always been terrible at memorizing the bible right and like i always hated if someone oh let's like the pastor answer this question about the bible i'm like yeah i don't know whose name that is. i don't know who that is i have no clue um it's always i've always been a big principle guy not a big like i need to know and memorize every word of scripture right i've wanted to know the principles that guide things and i've always been able to reference like kind of where things are but not yeah. those specific verse references for them or otherwise
2: so the chronology more yeah. so than the actual like chapter and yep. verse and yeah. i can
1: tell you like oh yeah i know that something in around matthew 25 says this and yeah so i can go there and find it but i couldn't <laughs> tell you matthew 25 verse this says this
2: i think very few people could honestly
1: yeah well, and when I remember that versification came way later in Christian history, Correct. I feel justified in yeah. my, my inability to do so. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, some
2: of the words didn't even have spaces between them. Exactly. If you look at some of those old, like, uh, some of those old manuscripts. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um,
1: so how long did you spend outside of – how long would you say you spent outside of faith? Um.
2: Okay, so – I'd say my, my Christianity, the Christianity of my youth, devolved into sort of a weird deism um, uh, maybe when I was like 15. Um, so, I mean, it depends on what you mean by faith, but if you mean Christianity in general, I'd say about 13 years. Okay. Yeah. Solid. It was good and 13 then, years. So it's about half my life.
1: You left Adventism before you left... Christianity Correct. to some extent. So yeah. talk to me about that specifically because you still had this belief in God, but you decided that Adventism wasn't the home, wasn't yeah. home for you.
2: So I started to question some of the things about um or some of the precepts of Adventism. Um one of the big ones for me was G White. Um fair. <laughs> which I, I know is a very common one um among people who decide to leave, or at least I I sense that it is. Um and I guess for me, my, my, my father, who was one of the main sources of, of, of Adventist theology for me growing up was always saying, Oh, uh, you know, sola scriptura, that's where you have to start. And then he would turn around and he would hand me like, you know, some of G. white's writings. And I'd be like, well, that's not in the Bible. And, <laughs> and I, and I found it difficult to square that, but even more so I, I sort of looked at it as, you know. Christianity is more than an institution and I didn't need that institution to be a Christian and I didn't need to go to church to be a Christian and I I, I didn't even really think about it. I just sort of said I'm not Adventist anymore. You gotcha. um, it wasn't like, oh, I have a problem with the Seventh-day Sabbath or, oh, I have a problem with the dietary laws. It was nothing deep like that. It was sort of like, eh, you know, I, I'm if I'm really doing sola scriptura, which I at the time I thought was the way to go, then why do I need to be an Adventist? And so it sort of just became a, a general non denominational Sabbatarian Christianity. Gotcha. I would say. Fair enough. Yeah.
1: Um, that I'm mean, totally fair there. And I think the way that we've treated Ellen White is a big, like, yeah, I understand anyone who leaves over Ellen White being treated that way for them, where um, it's it's frustrating because, you know, Adventists do see her as a prophet. And right. so but we've treated more of her writings as prophetic than were actually ever intended to be. And we've treated her as more important than she ever even really wanted to be treated or considered herself either. Absolutely. Um, The one thing that is honestly, I will say the one thing that's kept me Adventism through or in Adventism through all of that mess and having her crammed down my throat was the (laughs) idea that I realized I could arrive at the beliefs I have without her. Um, And that was like, I could get to them only in the Bible. And that was something that was really important to me. And I mean, at the end of the day, with my specific beliefs, let's say I abandoned one random one. Like, let's say I abandoned—I don't know—state of the dead. Let's just go with state of the dead. Right. right. Um. So Adventists believe that when you die, you're asleep, not immediately in heaven. Correct. So for me, then, um, going going to an Adventist church or going to a non-Adventist church doesn't really work. Right. Like you know, any other denominational church with that specific belief being. Something that gets, you know, talked about pretty often oh, yeah. on the other end. Um, and I remember shortly after my dad passed away, people told me, like, yeah, I'm sure he's in heaven watching over you. And I was, like, deeply disconcerted by that. And I Correct. wouldn't feel comfortable being in a, in that environment. So let's say I gave up on the Sabbath, right? right, and then decided to go somewhere else on Sunday. Well, all these other unique mixture of beliefs don't work in another environment. Yeah. So I'm still – the place that I can be at home with the majority of my beliefs tends to still be an Adventist sabbath keeping church right absolutely so um it's where i find the most common community and in beliefs so i i get it so um okay let's have some fun um (laughs) and let's get in some trouble awesome what irks you what bothers you what angers you whatever what like grinds your gears about christianity or christians or the way that faithful people live or treat people or anything like that like let's I know it's a giant umbrella, so right you know what's the most what's the biggest thing to you or some of the biggest things that have ever stood out to you
2: um i guess so do you mean in my personal experience or just my my observation of things all of it um okay so i'll I'll start with personal experience i um i loved the church I grew up in um the pastoral staff there was always very um very nice and very and i and i thought very christ like Um, and I always felt like the people who were teaching me the doctrine were the same people who aimed to live that life. Um, so in personal experience, the, you know, aside from some, you know, some random people that I knew, um, I, I felt like it was very consistent with what I was being taught. So my personal experience wasn't horrible early on um it was mostly when i started meeting more and more people later on that i was like okay so you know you'll claim the doctrine or you'll you'll claim the uh the moral precepts of of christianity but then you'll go out and you'll preach hate or you'll you'll go against people who don't believe the same way as you and you're supposed to be you're supposed to be meek you know blessed are the meek and i always that always stuck with me and, and then to see people going out and you know, like certain groups, I'll go out and and protest, like certain funerals and stuff like that, and and that always irked me because I, I I couldn't see the love of Christ in in those actions. Um, so I I think I think that's very familiar to to everybody in the in the United States. Yeah, is to is to see people who claim to be representing Christ promoting injustice in their actions. Yeah, and so that always irked me.
1: Well, that was like uh, that reminds me of the the video that Penn Jillette released a while back where he's like. He's like, um, you know, I may not believe in God or anything, but man, do I respect a Christian who comes up and tries to evangelize to me, absolutely, um, because it means they're following their beliefs,
2: right? Like, <laughs> Go out and preach the gospel. Yeah, yeah. So they're
1: like, so he's like, I don't respect a Christian who won't proselytize in any way, shape, or form because they're not living by the very book they claim to li- the, to live by and absolutely. believe it. Um, it's that kind of thing. Like, yeah, I'm okay respecting you for following the beliefs that you believe, um, even to some extent with um with religious extremists whether that has resulted in violence or otherwise there's a certain level of respect i have to say like cool you followed your beliefs to the like <laughs> as far yeah. as they took you right. um i can respect that while completely disagreeing and, and denouncing where that actually led them and what they did correct um, but there's a certain amount of like i wonder if you know i even think of some of the things that i know i You know, I know there are double standards and hypocrisies in my own life that things that don't line up specifically with what I know I should be doing. And so whether I can consciously pinpoint them right this second or not. Right. I wonder like, man, sometimes I wish I had um, the faith of an extremist without the actual like specific beliefs. The fanaticism. Yeah, Yeah. without the fanaticism, (laughs) so to speak. I don't know if that like, I don't know if that comes across as at all non uh, abrasive, but oh, well, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I could get on that. I think the thing that irks me about, I guess, Christians in general is something that you mentioned, which is like not allowing other people or, you know, people of other beliefs to live their life. Um, and it is annoying to me to see when we are. So for example, I think I talked about this on, um, a recent episode where a woman in Alaska, prayed at a town hall meeting oh yeah um she prayed a saint she was part of the 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 church of satan i think or the satanic temple oh that's right yeah the the, Levee thing yeah yeah and so she prayed this satanic prayer and a bunch of people walked out basically yeah and all these christians like no you can't have that in our towns it should be a prayer to god and i'm like that's not how that works
2: yeah
1: um in a Place where you believe in religious freedom, yeah um, does not mean <laughs> the definition of religious freedom doesn't mean everyone does christian things, correct, um, same with our advocating for prayer in schools and absolutely all of that and so <laughs> um, it seems the big thing that irks me is we 're not okay with people outside of the camp living the way that they have wanted you know they claim to live or they desire to live. Granted, I think where we have moral crossover or overlap, such as not murdering people, things like that, you know, yeah. ethical overlaps <laughs> are important for everyone, and I'm Absolutely. okay enforcing those across the board. But yeah, for the things that are just general lifestyle, like it's not enough that I'm that I'm not gay or I don't believe that being gay is okay. Yeah, it's you can't be period, whether you're Christian or not. you are an abomination period and i
2: will make it fully known to you at all
1: times yes exactly it's that kind of thing that i really just am not a fan of at all It just bothers the crap out of me (sighs) um yeah i think that and and um i'm trying to think of how i want to say the other one that that really bothers me but um i think the head in the sand ah yeah um the head in the sand and the the kind of lazy arguments we come up with or lazy things we come up with to avoid either dealing with hard questions or, um, the kind of crass judgments we make on other people, um, based on either our discomfort with them or what they believe or otherwise, like i are just, you no, know, they're, they don't believe like us. So there's no way they're right in anything. Yeah. And, um, we project this whole personality or person onto someone who thinks differently than us. Yeah. It's just not a fan, to be honest, <laughs> not a fan. And I know I have a tendency that I could, you know, I say that knowing full well I've probably done that, or I definitely have done that at some point, right? I mean, and I'll probably do it again. Um, part of the messiness of being a human being, I guess. Um, yeah, we all fall short. But yeah. Um, so, what are some of the things that you thought were kind of? I know that you mentioned at least in your in your church growing up um, something good. But what what are some of the good things or positive things that you've seen within faith?
2: Um, well, the, I'd say the great charity of of the faithful is, is probably the biggest one. People who actually live out the, the works of mercy, I guess you could say, um, in the new Testament, in the gospel, you know, um, people anointing the sick and people, um, feeding the poor and, and giving people shelter that and, and people being completely self selfless in doing so, I think is one of the most inspiring things mm. about it. Um, People who live that way and, and, and strive to be as joyful and as peaceful as possible, and they just exude those, those emotions and, and, and that state of being to the point where it's almost infectious. You know, yeah. you, you, you really know when somebody is at peace with themselves and, and with their faith and, and when somebody is striving to live that way. And that, I've always found that inspiring, you know, regardless of, of what I believed at the time.
1: Hmm. That's... Um it's weird seeing some of the, some of the principles, not everything that I was taught was worth throwing away. I think and (laughs) and as someone going into ministry and as, you know, you know, being taught in college and high school and even grade school to some extent, but um, seeing some of the things that we would expect would be and hearing some key things that you've said that I know I've been taught and otherwise like, you know, let your light shine or, you know, be, be a decent human being. And it turns out that other people will go, man, I want that. Yeah. Um, yeah, turns out that's actually true. Um yeah. it's cool to hear that though, um, as well. Um, so you've said several times was an atheist, was an atheist, yes. was a, you know, had this weird form of deism, yeah. which fair <laughs> enough. Um yeah. I think even I have a somewhat more deistic view than a lot of even Adventists. Like I, I tend to think that. God has made us with wisdom and discernment to, to the point of not, uh, we don't need to consult him for every tiny decision that we ever make. And he's made us with, so not necessarily that God has left things and you know right. created them, just left them prime mover sort of He thing. also doesn't need to be the one that makes everything happen for you, that he's given you agency in your life to be able to, to make decisions and, and go do things. Yeah, it's free so, will. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's where I tend to be on the deistic side. So I do think he's intimately involved and cares about our lives, but not to the extent that I'm going to, pray that I do well on this test. <laughs> um, but more like I'll pray that there's some grace and mercy in the teacher's heart, Correct. but I won't pray that I can do well on the test. Like I don't, I almost feel like that's asking God to cheat. Like God give right. me the answers to this test. Yeah. Um. So you said was, you know, talk to, talk to me about the journey back. I know you've, you've shared with me a bit and you're welcome to be as general or as specific as you want to be um but yeah you're you're on your way back in yes, to faith
2: absolutely and
1: not in the way that people would immediately expect either uh, <laughs> Correct. given the background so especially actually given the background <laughs> um very ironic so very much yeah so. um floor yours here um yeah what's your story
2: all right so it was um i'd say the last week of may this may so um pretty recently um i I was just sitting down one night and normally, you know, I get home and I have a, I have a two year old son. Um, I spend time with him. I put him down for bed and then I, uh, you know, clean up and, and do things around the house and, and spend time with my wife. And She tends to go to bed before me. So I, I have a good hour and a half where I just kind of sit there and I'll like listen to lectures and I'll, you know, listen to music and just read and stuff like that or watch TV, whatever. Um, and every night was basically the same for years. You know where I would basically do that. <clears throat> um, this night started out that way. It was you know just a normal night in in late May, um, and I was sitting there and I was I don't know watching some show, and immediately everything kind of stood still in my mind. It wasn't like everything literally went silent, but all of a sudden I felt this rush of silence. As weird as that sounds. Just everything stood still, and I was in my own mind spontaneously. Um, and I, I, I kind of tried to poke and prod that and see what it was. Um, and I felt this pull towards reading about Christianity. Now, that's something that I did about 10 years ago. And I I I kind of just said, that's settled. I don't need to do it again. What more value am I finding in this? Yeah. I've rejected it as as a superstition or whatever I believe back then. And it was it was one of those things where even though for an entire decade I rejected the notion that I needed to look into it further, I suddenly felt the need to do so now, specifically right at this moment, and I felt the burning desire to do so. So I started reading. Um I read um obviously I didn't read the whole Bible in one night. I read some excerpts from the Gospels and Acts, um the Pauline epistles as well. Um I read um uh, some of the writings from um the early church fathers and and that night I watched um a a mass. Uh it was a Roman Catholic mass. And um I tried to I tried to put my mind in sort of a, how can I say this? Um, sort of a tranquil state. I, like a, I tried to like a meditative state. Yeah, I tried to meditate on what the gospel was trying to was trying to teach. I was trying to encounter it in a more ethereal way than I had ever tried to encounter it because I knew up until the, up until that point I had hardened my heart significantly against it. Um, and so I said, you know what? I'm just going to let it in. I'm going to see what happens. And it was profound. And I stayed up until maybe like three thirty in the morning, um, oh, wow. just listening and, and, and reading. And, and, and I just, I felt this hunger for it that I had never felt before. Um, and suffice it to say it hasn't stopped since. Um, and every single day I've had about a thousand questions. Um, and, once again, I hardened my heart towards that sort of thing for many, many years, and I and I was incendiary against it and against those who believed it um, quite a bit, but suddenly the things that I had read a million times before when my heart was hardened suddenly made sense to me, and I couldn't explain why or how, but the exact same words carried this profound meaning that they never had before, mm. and so I decided, you know what, you know, I... I prayed about it I was like if this is what you want for me God I'm going to I'm going to take it I'm going to I'm going to try to roll with it I'm going to see where it goes just guide me as best you can because you you can um mm. and you know I st- I still struggle with that cuz I'm so out of practice but um <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's like that's foreign language now right
2: yeah and I and I had trouble with prayer for that reason and i was so awkward it it's like the movie meet the parents where um greg is praying at the at the dinner oh, table yes. it's really awkward it was sort of like that um and later that week um it was actually sunday night um i went to the emergency room um i had i had a medical issue which i won't go into cuz it's not pleasant but um <laughs> i i you know i was very um I felt like I had suddenly been betrayed because I felt like I was holding out this olive branch to God. And I was saying, guide me and and do what you will. And then suddenly I'm in this horrific position. And then later on that night, I'm still in the ER. I find out my mom, my mother is also in the ER. Oh, man. And uh, that changed it somehow. Like the, the circumstances got even worse, but that became the most prayerful evening of my life. I pleaded. I begged for intervention in in her life and I said you know what do whatever you want to me but but I you know I can't lose my mom Mm -hmm. it was it was serious I won't go into it but I I can't lose my mom and I I prayed and I prayed and eventually I I basically fell asleep praying once I got home um and you know miraculously my mother uh you know, was out of the ICU in three days and yeah. is almost fully recovered now. Um, yeah. And I think that acquainted me with prayer in a way that that I was not prepared for. And so I think going through that and 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 praying for discernment and praying for clarity and just doing a ton of reading every day, it's it's made all the difference in the world. I believe it. So you,
1: you were literally put in a position where there was nothing you could do. Correct. Um, you. There, there was no, there was no, you know, course of action. There was nothing to do other than that, yeah. and uh, and that was the only way you felt like you had control was by giving it to someone else. Basically, absolutely. Um, this idea of it, it's almost like those movies where you know, um firefighter pulls someone out of a burning building, and and the firefighter goes, "How many are still in there?" And you tell them three, or in your case, one. Yeah, go, please save them. They're in this room, you know, in the closet or whatever. And the fire like. All right, I'm on it. You know what I mean? Like you can't be the one, right? But you can talk to the person who is the one who can, and so it's that kind of control that you you had, which is none. <laughs> um, uh, and in that case, the firefighter also already knew where they were and who they were too. Correct. So it's um no, it's it's one of those things where like I like I said earlier, it's the experience, and it's yeah. something that you can't always. It quite literally is spiritual things are spiritually oh. discerned, and I think that's what you've been experiencing, and. Um, Christians get laughed at that all the t- you know, laughed at for that all the time. Oh, yeah. But then someone experiences it and you're like, oh, that's what they meant. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's right. wild.
2: If it was, if it could be found completely empirically, then everybody would be a Christian or a great deal of people yeah. or a great many people more than, than are Christians now would be Christian. Yeah. But like you say, it takes that experience. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, and, and the other side of it too, is like, there's a lot in Christianity that And I'm talking about the faith, not the system or the institution. Now I'm saying like the Christian worldview. Um, There's a lot I've encountered that, you know, even it's not even necessary that I believe it can be proven empirically, but I believe that this is reality. I believe that this worldview is the right worldview. Right. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm walking. I'm still encountering things that I don't like or I disagree with in the worldview, and so there's still the struggle to, you know, remain or reconcile the things that are distasteful that I to me specifically, and I have to question like you know it's one of three possibilities either I don't understand it like it's not saying what I think it's saying, so I don't understand it um properly or I do understand it properly and I just need to get in line sort of deal like this is reality accept it um or three um it is um it's something that maybe was true at one point that no longer is and we've move forward in it. Or something that I may not actually get an answer to in this world or in this right. lifetime, and I, I I try to exhaust every possible <laughs> conclusion or, or, or route before I come to that conclusion because I never want that to just be the cop Well, I guess I'll figure it out in heaven. That's not even remotely intellectually honest. I feel
2: right, exactly.
1: Um, and if, if anything, that's a that's a fear tactic for some too. We'll just yeah, I don't know, but God will tell me one day. Yeah, right. That's not. <laughs> Um, but I do with a lot of questions like that too. There's been some extent of me treating them the way that like men treat losing things. I go like, I lose my keys. Eh, they'll turn up. Yeah. Not really going to ter- eh. tear my house upside. down. Unless I like have to leave right then. Yeah. I'm not going to tear my house upside down looking for my keys. I know they'll turn up. Correct. Um, and they have every time. Yeah. But, and girls, oh, there's a, little, a lot of girls I talk to. They're like, how in the world are you so calm right now? What do I, you want me to do?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I- it's not going to change anything for me to be anxious yeah. about this. So, yeah. with a
1: lot of the questions, but the same way, like I know I'm going to either encounter the answer at some point or whatever. So, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing and living my life with what I know. And the one thing that's kind of carried me through is in any belief or anything I've found, if I find a God that is looking for every loophole to get you into heaven versus right. every opportunity to get you out or keep you out, right? If I believe in that and I see that in scripture, then in any conflicting belief that I come across or anything that I, that I struggle to reconcile with, I err on the side of grace or mercy, um, justice included in that, but grace and mercy until proven otherwise. Correct. That's, that's kind of the default view that I take when I walk in things that I'm not sure about.
2: Absolutely. And I think that I, that's something that, um, in my, uh, in my lack of faith, my previous lack of faith, um, I I always kind of looked at it as, well, you know, religion's a cop-out, you know, you're sort of throwing caution to the wind and saying, oh, well, you know, um, God will take care of it, whatever, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about it or even think about it. But what I've found is that to, to claim to be a Christian and to want to be a Christian is, it's such a high standard of life. It's, there's, it's not just, "Oh, I believe in Christ" because as you say the devil believes in Christ. Yeah. You know, the, it, it it's more than an acknowledgment. It's a revolutionary revamping of your life. It's a transformation. And that's something I never saw and you know, mm. if it wasn't clear before that I'm Catholic, uh, I'll I'll quote uh, Benedict XVI said that <laughs> if you say, you know, if you declare I believe in one God, that's that's a revolutionary act. Yeah. You know, that's it's it's such a high standard that no matter what you do, you'll never be able to fully live up to it, but that's, the, that's part of it. You know, you, you, you try your best, and you, and you live by Christ's example, and, and so much joy and fullness will come to you that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I th- it's better to live that way than to not, basically. Correct, absolutely. And I think that's been one of the things I've always tried to make the point, that true Christianity actually, I think, is, a, is not an easy way out. Right. I think it calls you to look in the mirror at who you really are. Yeah. And how you do fall short every single day, but it also calls you to remember that the pressure's off on you too and to not hold that against yourself. But to encounter the ugly part of who you are and the reality of who you are every day. Like you don't do, just get to put that away. Um if you're truly claiming Christianity, um you acknowledge it as a part of your life. And you're actively trying to choose or actively trying to resist it and choose the opposite. Correct. Um and grateful for God's grace when you fail to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but it it is hard. Like, um, if you don't have the the proper balance of, you know, understanding God's grace, then Christianity can be something that actually drives you to depression. So yeah, I'm worthless, I'm terrible. Um, oh yeah. You can um, self flagellate
2: all day, you know. Yeah. It's yes, absolutely. <laughs> um
1: you know, and, and that's it. Like, how could God love me if I've done this? Or right. Things like that. And, um, and for people like that, too, a lot of them have a trouble with the Jesus story because while God himself became human and experienced the things that we experience, he's never, I don't want to say felt the same guilt, because if he bore our sins, then he felt the guilt. Right. But he never did any of the things or like they see there are people that you always think your experience is the exception to the rule. And so you see Jesus even having bore our sins and feeling the guilt we feel. Well, he never d- actually did those things. Right. So he doesn't really know. Correct. He doesn't really know what it's like. That's, that's the, that's the rationale we use. Yeah. Um, the lie we tell ourselves. And yeah, we do beat ourselves up a bit. But I think when you do have the proper balance, you do get the beauty of going, yeah, I am i don't measure up and I don't have to at this point. Like I just exactly. need to be who God is calling me to be the best I can. Um, so there's beauty in that. So as in your return, and yeah, we're we're early in. Like you and I are, I think this episode will up will air in like August, but we're <laughs> middle of July right now. Yeah. Um. What um. What. Why Catholicism over coming back to Adventism or or Protestant Christianity in general? That's um, not a. criticizing question either I'm genuinely curious like this is an interesting question
2: yeah no absolutely I don't think it's a common story but um and it's it's fine um so I I first started you know in in my okay full confession time you know I was raised Adventist and and at least what I was taught was that you know the the Catholic Church will, will figure prominently in the end times and it was sort of a thing that I was never exposed to um outside of they're the enemy yeah outside of they're the enemy or or they're you know superstitious or whatever um I the reason I ended up choosing Catholicism is because I read scripture and I read the writings of early Christianity in a completely different way than I did when I was an Adventist when I was an Adventist I, I was sort of still anchored to the Adventist understanding but after living half my life as an atheist or or you know as a, whatever I was i i didn't have that underpinning anymore at least not to the degree that that i did back then and so i could kind of look at it as well i'm starting from the ground up what is it that jesus came to do and i i found so much emphasis on the idea of a church you know a, a community of believers an, an assembly of believers um i found I guess, sort of an authority vested in the apostles that, that, that Jesus gave to them, you know, at the great commission. Mm -hmm. Um, I found validity in the idea that, you know, say in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he says, um, you know, thou art Peter and well, I think everybody knows the verse, you know, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I found, um, I found validity in that and looking in church history, I found that from, the time of Jesus. And, and, you know, there is some debate. I, I get that. Um, and I, I I try to be as objective as possible. Um, I found that that formula was largely adhered to from the time of, of Peter and Paul all the way up until the present day in the history of, of the Christian church. And so that combined with the idea of the sacraments, which was something completely foreign to me, but now makes complete sense. So like the Eucharist, for example, mm-hmm. um, the idea of it literally being Jesus's blood and flesh, that was, I, I read that verse with, with a different understanding that I, than I ever did when I was an Adventist, because I, I saw how the crowd was sort of reviled by what he was saying. And he never stopped to say, no, this is just a metaphor. And to me, that signified that, no, this is truly what he was saying. And that, it is transfigured into his blood and his flesh. And that, that stuck with me. That, that stayed with me as being such a profound thing that, that I couldn't just ignore it and say, well, you know, that was a metaphor and it's something we do, you know, a couple times a year. And I always, um, and I, I looked at all those things and I, and I summarized them and I said, what's the closest thing to, to all of those things? And I said, well, it's either Roman Catholicism or or Eastern Orthodoxy, and I, I found Orthodoxy to be a bit alien um, in the sense that it's uh, a lot of the churches are, are, you know, they they're they're based around a nation or an ethnicity, and so the liturgy is is usually in that language. Gotcha. And I I didn't find the meaning in it that I did in in the Roman Church, um, as well as the idea of the the Petrine supremacy or the uh, the idea that Peter was the the head of the church, you know, mm-hmm. to be, to be the first, um, apostle to be in that succession. And so I looked at Roman Catholicism as imperfect and as, as flawed as the, as the magisterium of the church has been, you know, and that's a complete yeah. understatement. I found validity in that. And, and that's, I think the best way of, yeah. of putting it.
1: Fair. Yeah? Um, I, yeah, I, you know, obviously we differ on some stuff there. Of course. Um, but, <laughs> The, what's so a couple clear couple things that i want to I want to touch on there yeah um first of all for all the adventists that are listening to this whether you're a pastor or not um who think like it didn't really it doesn't really become the body and blood of Christ no no, no. uh <sighs> to that I would go I would encourage you to go ask your pastor how they get rid of the extra communion bread or or juice at uh, whenever we do communion <laughs> um because you'll find out that they probably bury the extra bread and pour out onto the ground well little bit sacramental there uh (laughs) let's be honest um so even if we don't we claim we don't believe it it's literally a matter of policy that we still follow um but the second thing there too i would say um speaks a lot to the way that adventists have unjustly or unnecessarily vilified catholicism um and vilified like adventists as a whole um, believe that Roman Catholics or the Catholic Church leadership specifically plays a role in the end times, and not a positive one, right? Specifically, the leadership, not necessarily Catholics in general. But what that ends up turning into is a lot of Catholic bashing. It turns into a lot of you know they are the enemy. We you know, um, and so it's it's what what it's created is um, a lack of willingness to be understanding to or try to understand people. And so if a teacher tells you Catholics are bad, then you have no reason to go talk to them because you're just trusting the teacher's experience that they were bad. And um that's not the case. Like some of the greatest human beings I know are Catholics. <laughs> and we owe a lot of church history, some of the positive parts of church history to Catholicism as well. Right. Um there's there's certainly beauty there, even if I happen to disagree with with a lot of beliefs or or a lot of the things that happen there, um, ultimately there's still this 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 core belief of Jesus Christ being the reason for our faith the author perfector the founder the foundation the center i could go on with those Absolutely. right yeah. um and and so there's the beautiful parts that unite us there and i think those are the things that we can celebrate and um so yeah i um it it is sad to me that 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 not that there's a narrative that adventists don't like catholics but that we did it to ourselves <laughs> so to speak um and and that is sad to me because i think there's i think god is just as much in your journey as he is in mine um if not more in some cases right this second like right. i think there's he's you know it's he's devoting a lot more energy right now to what you're doing <laughs> and your journey right now than than to mine which um is fine there's nothing wrong with that um it's kind of like yeah heal the dude with this wound that still needs healing and and figuring out and navigating versus the guy who's already been discharged from not the hospital, but, you know, no longer in the ICU. And I would say that you in this transitionary period, and this is not meant to be pejorative at all, but you very much are in this kind of healing and new thing of like, what does life look like now? Uh, <laughs> what do I do? I have all these
2: questions. Oh yeah. I mean, take my, my bad summary of uh, Catholic teaching, for example.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. It is what it is. Um, so um, with some of the questions that you had early on, that led you out, where are you with some of those? Would you still say those are up in the air and you're kind of waiting, or...
2: You mean in terms of...
1: Like some of the stuff you encountered in the Old Testament, for example.
2: Oh, well, um... I... So I read, um... I don't know if you're... You know, of course you're familiar. Um... <laughs> I, I'm 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 talking to somebody who's literally ordained about oh you might well, maybe you're well, not. Well, I'm not ordained,
1: but yeah, I've been in. Yes, I've I've gone that route. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Sorry. I no, d- you're fine. You're trying to learn the the terminology.
1: Wa- you're fine. I say that for listeners who may go, wait a minute, what? But I know what you're saying. <laughs> okay. Yes. Perfect. Someone who's committed his life to ministry. Yeah. Yes, we're good.
2: <laughs> so, um, I read um one of the church fathers, uh, Origin. Who actually speaks about uh some of the verses in the Old Testament because at the time of Origen, I think it was you know early on in his time or slightly before his time i you know I, I get the years all mixed up, but um at the time there was something called the Marcion heresy, which I'm sure you're familiar with, where basically it was it was Gnosticism where um the Marcian heresy was was a movement within early Christianity to say well let's just let's focus on the New Testament because the Old Testament is the chronicle of what they would call the demiurge or the, um, I guess the prime mover, it's, it's sort of deistic in a way because they would say, well, that was a, that was a fallen God or, or like a, like a, a terrible God that was, gotcha. um, yeah, that was sort of, uh, succeeded by Jesus Christ. Who's this new and, and wonderful and graceful God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know that question that's still being wrestled with today was very much being wrestled with in the in the second and third centuries and origen basically said look at those verses in deuteronomy and in leviticus L- don't look at them necessarily as as a chronicle of oh god did these horrible things um to these to these you know defenseless and innocent people look more look at it more as sort of an allegory of somebody wrestling with their faith and how much of a challenge it is and how, and how people can be thrust out of their most comfortable places in their lives and be turned over to Christ in the most profound of ways. And you feel like you're, you're being almost gutted by these questions. You you don't know how to take them and they, and they make you so uncomfortable and they make you cry and beg and and, and, and pray for discernment and, that was sort of the way Origin took it, and that's sort of the way that um, a lot of the early church um, decided to look at it—not necessarily as as genocide, literally, but as a as an allegory of of the the challenge of faith.
1: Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, um, and I think even now in current scholarship—and don't get me wrong—I think there, there's a new emphasis in current scholarship. Let me put it that way: there's a new emphasis emphasis in current scholarship that. Um, a lot of the things that are attributed to God in the Old Testament were really people's best interpretation of who God was back then. Yeah. So they were saying God would tell us to do this or we think God is telling us to do this. And um, and so there, there's this new emphasis in some circles of scholarship, Protestant and Catholic, to, to say that um, and understand that, no, God didn't actually tell them to command these things, but that they— interpreted it as god commanding or maybe they justified improper behavior by saying god did um, and there is i think you get harry the scripture's very hard to um, to play fast and loose with the reason yeah. being like let's say let's say that we wouldn't take the genesis 1 story as literal let's say we took it as which I'm pretty sure Catholicism doesn't take it as literal as a whole. I don't remember um, now, now. I'm thinking. I'm just blanking.
2: So the official position of the church is that believing in the Genesis one narrative isn't expressly necessary for salvation. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So okay. a lot of people will will be. You'll find young Earth creationists in Catholicism, yeah. but you'll also find people who believe in evolution by natural selection and the 4.54 billion year old yeah. Earth and whatnot.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, thank you for that because I just totally blanked. Whereas Adventists, <laughs> especially because of the doctrine of the Sabbath. <laughs> Um, tend to hold to a literal seven day creation. Absolutely. So, the, but the the issue then becomes if you if you start taking it as not a literal seven day creation, well, the rest of the Old Testament just continues to flow naturally out of that poem, right? right. Out of Genesis one and two comes the immediate story of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden, and then Cain and Abel, and like. Yeah. So, if you think that Genesis one and two is the is the allegory or the poem, well, where does it become then narrative? Right. Do you see what i like? And and so you end up doing that with. If you do take the the, the stance of God being, um, you know, that being Christian or the early Israelites picture of who God was rather than for some of those terrible commands versus who God actually was. Well, what of then what do I say with thus saith the lord yeah suddenly doesn't mean anything and it's just i get to just pick and choose absolutely thus saith the lords are the ones that are actually god right um so you do run into problems and i think there's a reason that these questions have been wrestled with since christianity has existed because we genuinely they're complicated right i think it speaks to the the vastness or the importance of those questions and the difficulty in us finding an answer to them yeah um i i i it almost seems like it would be arrogant of me to say that, yep, I have the answer suddenly after 2000 some odd years of Christian history. Correct. Um, but that doesn't mean I stopped searching for an answer, nor does it mean, and it means that I do need to find some reconciliation with the rest of my faith to understand those. Um, and I've done that, but that's another topic for another day. Um, but dude, I think I just, want you to know i really appreciate you the journey that you've had and the journey you're on um, the um, questions that you've asked and even the interactions we've had um, i've always it's been really cool to see um, all of that play out and to play any small role in that is a huge honor and privilege for me So you played a big role so i appreciate um, that yeah seriously and, um it's it's cool too as you're journeying what's funny is you're journeying into a completely different denominational or, you know, <laughs> worldview, yeah. um, and still coming to me with questions on occasion. And that's kind of cool to see too. Um, and I'm doing my best to not just be like, you yes, know, so just be Adventist, man. Um, <laughs> uh, no, have the journey you're on for sure. Um, better, uh, better to, at the end of the day, for someone who is an Adventist, better of you to believe in Jesus Christ than nothing at all. And that's, Absolutely. and I don't mean that as Pascal's wager. I mean, I'm happier for you to just at the base level, um, that be the thing we agree on, right? That's because it is the most that. important thing. Exactly. And everything else comes secondary. So, Correct. um, but anything that you kind of want to leave listeners with anything that you wish people would know, if you could tell them, I don't know, floor is yours here. So soapbox is yours.
2: <laughs> um, I would say that, and it's something I heard a lot as a kid. Um, but that is in my experience, not put into practice that much as far as Christianity as a, whole is con- as a whole is concerned, is for atheists, silent evangelization is the best kind of evangelization. Living the life that the gospel has, has commissioned you to live and, and making it visible, but not pushy, not coercive. Mm-hmm. That is the best way to draw non-believers back into faith. Is When they can see your faith making a positive impact on your life, when they can see joy and peace in your life because of the things that you believe and that you profess when people can see that they will take it very, very seriously. Um, assuming they want, you know, assuming they're open-minded enough to see those things. Yeah. And I'd say a lot of them are, I'd say a lot of people are.
1: Yeah. I, I, I come across more and more atheists who are open to the existence. Like, There's a lot that I've talked to that have been like, I wish God existed. Oh, absolutely. I want him to, but I can't, I just can't, I can't believe it. I can't buy into it right now. Um, That sort of thing. So that, I mean, that's awesome affirmation to those who are doing it and a good slap in the face to those who aren't. Um, (laughs) So dude, thank you for, for coming on, for sharing and talking. And I'm looking forward to seeing where God is leading you and, and, and how this journey continues to unfold for you. Uh, I know you're still early on it for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, but Thanks for coming on. And um, for our listeners, um, if you do want to support what Absurdity is doing, um, I actually have some new ways to donate through PayPal. So um, if you want to head over to theabsurdity.org slash donate, there's some new ways to give and support as well as Patreon. Um, and there's a link to Patreon there as well. Um, and if you want to get in contact with me, you can head on into the show notes. You'll have my email and Twitter and all that good stuff. Uh, Matt, thank you for coming on. Um, really appreciate you, man.
2: Thank you, man. It's It's been an honor.
1: So um, if you want to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. Um, but thank you guys so much for your support, for joining with us. We'll see you next time. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.